Let us have a moment of prayer, please. Father God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would open us up, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit may work in us and, and through us, Father, to proclaim your word. We are in need of hearing your word, and we are in need of direction. And we are in need of you, my Father. We are in need of you. And so I pray that you would just open us up to your holy word, that we may be attentive to it and blessed by it, Father. We honor you today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Today, we probably had the shortest gospel reading in, in the history. <laughs> and, and the reality is that uh, the theme or the topic for today is actually the last verse only, because we've dealt with the baptism of Jesus uh, all through uh, the time of, um, of Advent. We, we dealt a great deal with, uh, with the baptism of Jesus. So, so basically, we're looking at at, um, at the last uh, verse of that whole section, um, probably verses 12 and 13, that's about all that I'm going to deal with and that I think has enough to, uh, to bless us. But we began uh, the season of Lent this past Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday. Uh, we began it... Um, and, and one of the things and one of the pointers or the, or the marks of the beginning of Lent and Ash Wednesday is precisely the ashes uh, being uh, placed on our foreheads in the form of the cross. And uh, I, I'll just say three things that, I, that the ashes mean to me and, and that I dealt with on the day of Ash Wednesday uh, first of all, the ashes are a reminders to us, a reminder to us that we are created beings. We are created beings. Our, our dependence is on God. Our sustenance is on God. Uh, we are, we're nothing more than, than ashes and, and dust. The reality is that the ashes in our foreheads remind us that we have very little to be proud of. Is there? Uh, we have everything to be proud of in God, but not really in ourselves, because there's not a lot that we can add to our own lives, even one more day than is assigned to us. So the ashes kind of humble us and, and shows our, our repentance and shows our condition. But the second thing that the ashes do is it reminds us that we were not created from gold or silver or precious stones or, or great and precious metals. We really were created from dust, from the very dust that the Bible tells us that God created the earth from. And he took uh, dirt and he from there created man and from the same dirt created woman eventually and, and breathed into that dirt, into that dust, and gave it life. We were really not created from precious things, but from dust. 
And the last thing the ashes remind us that I shared with you is that, that we are mortal. It, it's the reality. In, in fact, as ashes are being placed in our foreheads, uh, what the priest says or, or what our deacons and I said was, remember that you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. There's nothing in us that, that could help us last longer than God has designed or that our bodies can handle. We came from dust and to the dust we shall return. And that's kind of how we begin Lent. It's, it's a period that should humble us, should humble us and should invite us into a time of reflection into who we truly are into who we truly are. Lent calls us and invites us to make a stop, to make a pause in our natural and daily tendencies of life. We live life at such speed that we seldom take time to just sit down and collect who we are, really. We have these ideas of who we are we have this idea of who people may say we are. We have this idea of, of who our money may say we are, or our jobs, or our powers, or, or, or our marriages, or how blessed we are, when in reality Lent invites us to just stop and realize that if we are whatever we are, it's because of God and not because of us. Lent is an invitation to us to stop. To take 40 days and really look inside our relationship with God, in whom our eternity is wrought. Because we are dust, and to dust we shall return. If there's going to be an eternity in our lives, it's all because of God. Lent is an invitation for us to go inside. It's, it's a time of introspection. It's a time to stop and look within. To look at what is going on inside us. In our hearts, our souls, and our spirits. Where we live the deeper part of what it means to be human. It's a, it's a time that says to us, stop. Stop the race. Stop the speed. And take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to reflect. The reality is that none of us is in control of our lives. We're not in control. We may think that we are in control because we make decisions every day. But the fact is that life is running away from us at such rate of speed we can't catch up. That's the reality, whether you are young or old. In fact, somebody has very wisely said that from the moment we're born, we begin to die. And you can't stop it. You can't stop it. In fact, at least in my opinion, the older I get, the faster it seems to go. Lent is a time uh, for us to confront our weaknesses, our frailties, and sinfulness in our lives. And to get right with God. 
Lent is a time for us to confront the weaknesses, the frailties of what it means to live in this life and be human. One of the things I want you to recognize today, because that's what the passage truly is, I want you to recognize that temptation in life is unavoidable. Temptation in life is unavoidable. We live with so many stimuli and with so many potentials for failure and sins to what God has designed. Temptation is all over us and it is, uh, it is unavoidable. And we will all, all of us, including me, I don't care how high you go up the ladder of priesthood, we are all subject to temptations in life. It's unavoidable. It's all around us. As long as we are in this body, we will deal with temptations. But I also want you to know that temptations never, ever come from God. God's intention is never to cause us to fail or to fall. Temptations never, ever, ever come from God. The reality is that temptation don't even come from the devil. What I read in Scripture is that temptation really has to do with us. It begins in us. It begins with us. We need to own it. We need to own it. It begins inside of us. It begins in our weaknesses. It begins in our frailties. And it begins in our sinful desires that do not reside anyplace else other than inside of us. We always want more than what we have. It doesn't matter how much you have, you always want more. More and more and more. More of this, more of that, more power, more satisfaction, more pleasure, more money, bigger house, greater car. We always want more and more and more, and that comes from within, not so much from without. The devil, however, knows what's going on inside of us. He knows the crack in every one of our lives. He knows those things that we desire, those things we hunger for, those things we thirst for. He knows them better than we know ourselves. That's the proverbial apple that is just shown you and it's us who go after it because of the things we need to cover inside of us. Because of the desire. He knows our desires, our cracks, our failures, our thirst, our weaknesses. And then he presents us the enticing thing that we think will heal all of those issues. When in reality they drag us deeper into sinfulness. But it all begins inside of us. In fact, 
listen to what James has to say in chapter 1 of, of the letter of James. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. In him there is no evil intentions at all toward anyone but blessing. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt himself anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Then enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When we grab that apple, when we grab that thing that we're after, when we grab onto it, is that sin is born. And when sin is full grown, when it has become a habit of life, and we live in sin as if it did not matter, says James, it brings forth death. When we sin without impunity, when we think with sin without checking, when we just sin and make it a habit of it, as if it doesn't matter, it eventually brings on death. Separation from God for eternity. This is the way that James says it. As human beings, all of us are susceptible to inner needs. Amen? Amen. All of us have them. We're susceptible to inner needs, hungers, thirsts, ambitions, desires. And we're susceptible to the hurts from past experiences. We're susceptible to the hurts from past experiences. Things we have done or left undone or things that have been done to us. That leave us in pain. Leave us in pain and leave us searching for what we can do to make up for them. And they leave us trying to heal stuff in soul of us. All of us are broken in one way or another. And we live life looking for those things that will heal that brokenness. Or we live life masking those hurts and pains. Or worse, we live our lives acting out from those places of pain, those places of desire, those places of ambition, those places of hunger and thirst, and we act them out. Because we're looking for something. We're looking for something that will help us with those things. And we end up not being the person we were created to be or that God wants us to be. What is the sin that you most often fall into? 
I don't want you to tell me. Because I'm not going to tell you mine. But I want you to think a moment. What is the sin that most often the devil entices you with and you tend to fall on it over and over and over, no matter how many times you say never again, never again, never again. What is that one thing that you seem to have a crack in your heart, in your soul, in your life that the devil knows well and he entices you there and you bite? Over and over. You may be successful for a few days. You may be successful for a week. But you know that the crack is there. What is it? Where does it come from? Does it come from outside or does it come from inside? In the letter to the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says... Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, but yet without sin. In other words, Jesus being a human being like the rest of us, Jesus was subject to all possible temptations just like any one of us. The world may have been different, people may have dressed different, maybe different languages, but humankind has never really changed. Sin is sin. We encounter the same issues over and over since the beginning of creation, since Adam and Eve first bit into the fruit. The same issues are there. But it says that Jesus was subject to all forms of temptation like the rest of us, but he did not sin. He did not enter into sin. He did not bite into those temptations. In the gospel this morning, we see that it was the very Spirit of God that takes Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. It was at the river, the river Jordan, that Jesus was confessed by John as the Messiah, the King, the one who he couldn't even stoop down and untie his shoes, the Lamb of God that would take the sin away from the world. It was at the river that Jesus was baptized, submitting himself to the same humanity as the rest of us. In receiving baptism, Jesus was identifying himself with the sinner, though he had no sin to repent of. It was at the river that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descends upon him in an anointing way. It was at the river Jordan that the heavens parted, the voice of the Father is heard. This is my Son. You are my Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was at the river that Jesus' ministry began. And it was also at the river that his trials and battles against Satan also began. But isn't that the way it works with us as well? 
Let me tell you, before we're believers, before we're baptized and go to the river, before we confess Jesus and the Spirit of God is in us, and we know that we are God's sons and daughters, the devil doesn't mess with us. Because we're in his pocket already. We live a sinful life. We live away from God. We, he knows that without God, we will eventually end up where he wants us to end up. But it is the moment we go to the river, the moment that the Spirit of God is anointing upon us, the moment that we know that the Father declares us His sons and His daughter, that all of a sudden the attacks begin. Because He knows He's losing us. It is at the river in us the same way that it happens with, with Jesus. There is a connection between the river and the wilderness. One is the consequence of the other. Jesus was baptized and immediately the Spirit takes him to the wilderness. The trials of Jesus in the wilderness is part of his humiliation. In becoming a human being. It's part of his humbling himself. And humiliating himself in the flesh. To the point that he begins to be a target for evil. And a target for the temptations of of the devil. It's in the wilderness that we also see how Jesus becomes one of us in these attacks. And it is just as well with us. The wilderness is the realm of the devil. The wilderness is not a picture of paradise. Far from it. The wilderness is a picture of barrenness. It is a picture of loneliness. It is a picture of hunger and thirst. It is a picture of danger. The wilderness is a picture of life supposedly in this life, in this world. The wilderness is the realm of the devil. In fact, we are told by Mark, and no other gospel tells us, that the wild beasts were there where Jesus was. The wild beasts. It is a picture of being surrounded with everything that is dangerous. Everything that has the potential of killing and destroying a person. The wilderness. And then we're also told that the angels ministered to Jesus. And as I was thinking about that, and knowing that there is a passage of Scripture, I believe in Corinthians, one of the Corinthian letters, I believe Second Corinthians, where Paul writes that the angel comes sometimes as an angel of light, I wondered if the devil had camouflaged himself among the angels 
that were ministering to Jesus so that he could come and hurt the Lord and tempted as if he was one of those angels when he really was not. And then I wondered, is that now how it is with us? Doesn't temptation come to you almost without your knowing it? I mean, if we saw the devil coming with big horns and a big tail and a pitch, we would all be ready to fight. The thing is that that's now how he comes. He comes camouflaged with good intentions. He comes camouflaged as the thing that would satisfy and resolve all our problems. He comes camouflaged as what would satisfy our hungers, our thirsts, and our needs. He comes camouflaged in so many things that at first look pretty and potentially good, at least for us. Who cares about anybody else? But at least for us. And the devil comes to us in ways that sometimes we don't recognize. And yet his hand is all over temptations and all over enticements and all over potentials of danger and and hurt and pain to us and to others. I wonder if that's how the devil came to tempt Jesus as well, as one of the group of angels, with all his intentions, was to attack Jesus and offer him bread or offer him power or offer him whatever it was to see if he would bite. The attacks of the devil were precisely in things Jesus probably needed at that moment. Like when we have needs and cracks in our lives and sorrows and pains and we're looking for a solution, then the devil all of a sudden says, hey, I've got a solution for you. It would bless you so much. And we go and we bite. But the question for me, or or what I want to actually bring to you, is not just for us to understand temptation. I want to help you deal with temptation today. And I want to offer you three things that I believe we all need, including me, and that I'm trying to learn myself. And I think the Lord has been reminding me of this more often than than before, and, and I'm just blessed by the possibilities of what difference it can make. But one of the things I want to say to you in dealing with temptations that I've already said will be common in all our lives, they will be unavoidable. One of the things that you and I need to do is we need to grow in self-control. We need to grow in self-control. Self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul tells us the manifestations of the flesh, anger and, 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 and lust and, and cheating and, and fighting and, and all those things that are manifestations of the flesh that we're so familiar with because they're natural to us. But Paul speaks also of the fruit of the Spirit of love and gentleness and peace. And one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We're just not very good at self-control, are we? 
And yet it is something that when the Spirit of God is in us and we are in submission to the presence of the Spirit of God in us, it is one of those fruit that will be developed in us is self-control. And I, I believe that when you become a believer, when you become a Christian in the Spirit of God and God moves in to live in you, some of that self-control happens. But I think we need to grow and mature in the idea of self-control. However, self-control, I don't want it to be just theory. I want to give you some practice. Here's what self-control is. Self-control is the ability to recognize that we can push a pause button that we can call time out between the temptation and the action. That when we are tempted to say something that we should not say, we need to stop and filter whatever it is that's going to come out of our mouths or whatever it is that is going to be done by our hands. It needs to be filtered through the Word of God, through the values that have been given to us as believers. We need to, st- we are so reactionary. We sometimes speak without thinking. It comes into our heads and boom, there it goes. Hurts whoever it hurts. And once it's out of our mouth, we can't reel it back. It's done its deed. If we can realize that there is and we can indeed push a pause button before we act. That the temptation will come to do something and I need to pause and say, wait a minute. Is this from God? Will this bless God? Is the word of God allowing me to do this or not? If it is, then go ahead and do it. If it is not, you say, no, Satan, I will not fall into your trap. That is self-control, to learn in the ability to call call a, a stop, a pause in our lives. And not just act that whatever comes into our minds we're going to go and do. That's how we get in trouble. And that's how sin is born in our lives. We need to learn to slow down. To call time out before the temptation or between the temptation and our actions. Between what comes into our heads and what we actually say. We need to learn to say, stop. Is what I'm about to say worthy of the Lord? Is it worthy of the image of God in me? And if it's not, it should not. Zip it. Zip it. We can do it. We just should not jump from thought into action without filtering it through the word of the living God. Zip it. Bite your tongue. Run away. Put your hands in your pocket. Filter it through the Word of God. That is self-control. It happens in marriage. 
We need to zip it before we say some things or before we do some things that we know are going to hurt our spouse. It happens in every relationship that we can be in. It happens in life. We need to learn to have a pause button. As we grow into having that pause button and using it, that is what it means to grow in self-control. Stop and say that's this. Is for the glory of God? Or is this about me? Is this, what is this about? Am I being enticed? Zip it. Let it be filtered through God's holy word. If the word allows it, do it. If the word says no, don't do it. And that's where it dies. It doesn't go into action. It doesn't go into reality. It stays in temptation. And temptations are not sin. Sin is when temptation is done. Sin is when temptation takes form and is embodied in our actions, in our behaviors, in our words. So the first thing I want to teach you about dealing with temptation is to recognize and make sure that you have a pause button before you react. The second thing I want to say to you that that is essential to having that pause button is that we need to learn to, to, to practice the spiritual disciplines. We need to learn to be and live in the presence of God. We need to, to practice prayer. Prayer changes us more than it changes the thing we're praying about. We need to pray daily. We need to study the Word daily. We need to learn to meditate in the Word, to read a passage and just think about it. What is God saying to me in particular? What am I to do about this? We need to meditate in the Word. We need to practice the disciplines because the more we practice the disciplines, the stronger we are in the Spirit of God. The less we practice the disciplines, the weaker we are and the more potential for Satan to have a ball in our lives. We need to live in connection to God. God is present. God wants us to have a relationship with Him daily. The stronger we are and the more we live in the presence of God, the less likely that we're going to say yes to temptations. So the second thing I want to say to you is, is to practice the disciplines. Practice being in the presence of God at all times, at work. Have markers. Have markers in your car. Have markers in your desk. Have markers. Have your Bible with you. Whatever reminds you of God, have something that reminds you of God. Have markers. The Jews always had markers. Every time God did something, they built an altar. Every time God did something, they threw a party. And they said, repeat it every time and you'll never forget what God did. You need markers in our lives. They're not idolatrous, just markers to remind us. Have the Word of God in your desk. Have something in your car. Have things that remind you constantly that you are God's child. Be in the disciplines. You'll be strong enough against any temptation. But number three, 
If and when you sin, because we will all at times sin, unfortunately and sadly, there will be times that the devil will beat us. Recognize that he can beat you for that moment, but he will have no victory in you. The blood of Jesus covers all our sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He died on the cross for all our past sins and all our future sins. It is in the blood of Jesus that the covering is over us so that all our sins and errors and mistakes and stupidities of our lives are washed away and we are left as clean as an innocent child. When we sin, we need to recognize that the, the, the devil may have won that battle, but that the war is still in the hands of Jesus Christ. And we are saved by the blood of Jesus because he paid on the cross for all those things that we have failed at in life from beginning to end. Temptation will have no victory if we practice self-control, if we're straying, strong in the Spirit and in the disciplines of God and in connection with God and in His presence, but when we do fail, when that bad word comes out, that ugly comment comes out, that action that we thought nobody has seen us do, when it does happen and, and the Spirit convicts you of that sin, come to the cross. Come to the cross because the victory is not in our potential for victory. The victory is in Christ's victory on the cross. We begin Lent by looking at ourselves, looking at our strength, our weaknesses, the things we're lacking, the things we're doing. Lent is a time for us to, to seriously consider what's really going on. What, what, what really is going Am I trying to solve my problems by myself? Believe me, folks, you will fail because I have tried all my life and I'm a failure. I can't control things that happen. But in Christ Jesus, I'm stronger than I've ever been. And when I do fail and that evil thought comes in or that bad word comes out or, or whatever, all the hurts that I carry within me, at times from childhood, and we all have them. Jesus can heal them. Jesus can heal them, and we can become what the Lord wants us always to be, the image of Christ, His Son. The victory is in the Lord. But I don't want it to become kind of Oh, if the victory is in the Lord, let me continue to sin. No, I want you to live and get strong in self-control. I want you to have that filter in your life and that pause button so that you don't have to pick up the pieces of broken relationships and broken lives and, and broken self. 
I want you to have that pause button and learn to use it every day and you'll become very adept at using it and you'll think before you say and you'll think before you act and you'll bring it to the word and you will check it and that's how we grow in in self-control and if you're in the discipline self-control won't be as elusive as you think it'll be present it'll be there because you'll be in the presence of the lord amen Temptations will come, brothers and sisters. We'll all experience them. In fact, they may be happening right now. And they may happen even more the moment you walk out of here. The devil is going to say to you, don't listen to what Father Jose said. (laughs) Don't listen. Go back to who you were before you walked into that church and you heard that message. All churches are hypocrites. This is not about the church and it's not about me. It's about the word of the living God. And I'm giving you three tools that you can use against those darts of the enemy. Learn to have a pause button. And to filter all things through the word of the living God. You'll be okay. And live in the presence of God through the disciplines. And when you do sin, go to the cross where Jesus died for you so that you don't have to die for what you've done. And you can live in him. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please.